uh, into Babylon. Uh, the first two have already occurred and Ezekiel is prophesying in order to head off a third. Uh, won't be successful in that, but that's where we pick things up. He is ministering for the most part to Jews who are in Babylon at the same time that Jeremiah is prophesying to the Jews in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and part of the repetition of uh, Ezekiel in his message to the Jews in uh, Babylon concerning the fact that Babylon would ultimately uh, conquer uh, Jerusalem is an act of God's judgment against their sin. And uh, it was because of the, the constant flow of prophecies by the false prophets in Jerusalem who were saying that God will never let that happen. Uh, that, yeah, we're bad, we're awful, but uh, we're not as bad as the Babylonians. There is no way God is going to use uh, someone who is worse than us in many regards to judge us. And in this they were completely wrong. But these prophecies were continually, be, continually being prophesied in Jerusalem, they were making their way to Babylon, and Ezekiel is there to prophesy to them uh, what is the truth about the situation, and that those prophecies will not, not come to pass. And so he picks things up in uh, chapter 19 uh, with a lament over the princes of, uh, of, uh, of Israel. The chapter 19 is made up of two uh, separate lamentations. A lamentation was kind of a funeral uh, dirge. It would be a sad song that would be sung uh, over the death of someone or something. And these lamentations are made up of two uh, death songs. One of them, the first uh, for the kings of Israel in verses 1 uh, through 9. A lamentation really for the end of the Davidic kingdom, uh, the end of the series of human kings uh, in Israel that would come out of the lineage and out of the bloodline of David. You might remember that uh, Nathan the prophet came to David uh, at, at kind of the early part of the stages of his kingdom. It was very, very righteous. He was on the ascension had a desire to build a temple for God. And God said, you can't do that for me. Your son will do it. You have too much blood on your hands, too much warfare. I want a separation related to that. Um, and, uh, and, and so, but I will, I will make of your house, the Lord said, and your kingdom shall be established, speaking to David, before you, your throne shall be established uh, forever. And, and David understood what God was speaking to him through Nathan the prophet, and that is that all of the kings of Israel in their history would come from his bloodline and, and from his uh, lineage. And, uh, but as we've seen in these historical books coming up to this point, uh, the, the kings that followed David, some of them were very good, uh, most of them were bad. And uh, they not only uh, uh, led the nation into the Babylonian captivity, but they uh, brought an end to uh, the dynasty of, of David, the bloodline of the series of kings that, that followed him. And it is interesting that, as we talked about it a number of weeks ago, to put yourself, uh, most of us are Gentiles in the room tonight, we're non-Jews, but to put yourself in the position of a Jew and to look at all of the highs and lows of their history. And one of the lowest of the lows would be uh, the, the moment in their history when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians a third time and the city and the temple was destroyed and the people were taken uh, captive. And uh, you know how uh, everybody claims to have a, a ticket stub to Woodstock. I mean, everybody that has a, a claim to having attended Woodstock, they would have filled the whole state of New York or whatever. But, um, uh, so, but here's an infamous kind of claim to fame. I mean, you would almost just uh, hide yourself and, in the name of your family for the rest of your life uh, that I was a part of the generation who refused to turn from my idolatry and my sin, despite the 40 years worth of warnings by Jeremiah, the prophet, and others. And the result of it was we lost Jerusalem. We were deported from our land. We lost the temple. I mean, it would have been an awful thing. But even on top of that, as, as Ezekiel brings that out, they brought an end to uh, the Davidic dynasty. 
of the series of kings. Zedekiah was the final king from David's bloodline uh, at the time of, of the final conquest of, of Jerusalem. And, and that was the end of, of the promise that God had made. Uh, it, it appeared to be so at the moment, uh, the, the end of the, the promise to, uh, of God to David that someone his, of his bloodline uh, would, would sit upon the throne. But the dynasty of, of David's throne and bloodline uh, it hasn't ended. It has paused. Uh, and it's paused until Jesus, born of David's bloodline, uh, restores the Davidic kingdom upon returning at his second coming, where he will then rule uh, on the earth for what is known as the millennial kingdom, the thousand-year reign of, of Christ, before everything ultimately gives way to a new heaven and uh, a new earth. And so God, when he gave the promise to uh, David, uh, he, he didn't promise an unbroken monarchy to David, but an unbroken line of kings from David's lineage that would sit uh, upon the throne. From the time of the fall of the final king of Israel, from David's bloodline, King Zedekiah, Israel has never returned to a monarchy. It has never had a king. Uh, there's never been a king to follow that, that bloodline. Uh, but it's not the end of it. There's a pause there until Jesus comes, uh, born of the lineage of David, and he will resume that Davidic uh, kingdom uh, in, into the kingdom uh, age. The, uh, the other uh, lament that's in included here in this chapter is a lament for Jerusalem and for uh, her inhabitants in verses uh, 10 through uh, 14. And so this, uh, these funeral dirges, completely appropriate for Jerusalem and for uh, her kings at this particular point of time in their history. They are in their very last days, certainly within the last five years of their ultimate and final fall to the Babylonians. And uh, as, as Nebuchadnezzar would bring, uh, smite the kings and smite the city uh, and, and the nation as a whole. So we begin the dirge here in, in uh, 19, chapter 19, verse 1. Moreover, take up a lamentation for the princes of Israel and say, uh, where is your uh, mother? Uh, a lioness, and uh, here this lioness that is a part of the imagery here uh, of the prophecy, it refers to the Davidic uh, kingly uh, uh, priestly line of, uh, in, the, in the bloodline in the tribe uh, of Judah. And so it was through David's again bloodline that, the, that, that produced Judah's uh, kings. So of this bloodline, a lioness, she lays down among the lions, among the young lions, she nourished her cubs. And she brought up one of her cubs, and he became a young lion, and uh, learned to catch prey, and he devoured men, and the nations also heard of him. He became famous, uh, but he was trapped in their pit, and they caught him with chains, and uh, they, they brought him, rather, uh, with chains to the land uh, of Egypt. And so we know from Second Kings chapter 23, this refers to King Jehoiahaz, who came into power uh, after the untimely death of his uh, good father, who was a good king, Josiah, and uh, came in to reign, and, uh, and then uh, reigned for a mere three months before he was ultimately overthrown by Pharaoh Necho II and taken to Egypt, as this passage tells us, with, with hooks in his nose and, uh, and, and being led as if uh, with a leash, as, as is described here, where he died in captivity. So prophecy concerning uh, the end of this king. And when, and when she saw uh, that she waited, uh, that her hope was lost concerning this, uh, this first uh, king, this first young lion. Then she took another one of her cubs, uh, another in the kingly line, and made him a young lion, a king. And he roved among the lions and became a young lion, and 
learned to catch prey. He devoured men. He knew their desolate places. He laid waste their cities. The land with its fullness was desolated uh, by the noise of his roaring. And then the nations uh, set against him from the provinces on every side and spread their net over him. He was trapped in their pit. They put him in a cage with chains and brought him to the king of Babylon. They brought him in nets that his voice should no longer be heard in the mountains of Israel. And so this appears to refer to King Zedekiah, who was still reigning in Jerusalem at the time of this prophecy. Again, the final king uh, of, of uh, Judah and Jerusalem before this final overthrow uh, by, uh, by the Babylonians. And so here Ezekiel is just dashing any hopes in the hearts of the listeners among the Jews in Babylon that somehow uh, 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 Judah and Jerusalem is going to withstand this attack by the Babylonians and, uh, and, and be delivered in some way. It is interesting that it, there in the latter part of verse 9, uh, it says that his voice should no longer be heard in the mountains of Israel. There is something about taking a trip to Israel uh, that um, makes you, uh, while you're on the bus headed for the airport, uh, plan for your next trip to Israel. And there's something about that land, the beauty of the land, certainly the spiritual heritage, what it means to us as Christians. But imagine being a Jew, and uh, you have been raised in, in uh, the land of Israel, what that land means to you, not just in terms of the beauty of it. It's, just, it's every bit as beautiful as California. And, uh, but then uh, the, the spiritual significance of it, and then to realize that in the decisions that he had made, uh, he would, uh, his voice would no longer be heard in those mountains. He would never, ever return uh, to that place. Very, very sad. And then the lament for the fall of Judah in Jerusalem, verse 10, your mother, uh, probably a reference to King Zedekiah, uh, was uh, like a, a vine in your bloodline, uh, planted by uh, the waters, fruitful and uh, full of branches because of many waters. She had uh, strong branches for scepters uh, of rulers. She towered uh, in stature above the thick branches and uh, was seen in her height amid the dense uh, foliage. And so, uh, this uh, talking about the fact that Judah and Jerusalem had grown in, in significance, grown strong, grown prosperous, and uh, fit for uh, a ruler's uh, scepter, but, uh, and had every advantage to be prosperous, to live for God, be great for God, and uh, ultimately all of it would be uh, laid, laid waste by uh, the, Lord, uh, the Lord Himself in judgment for their sin. But she was plucked up in fury, uh, speaking of Babylon's attack upon Jerusalem and Judah, she'll be plucked up in fury, the fury of the Babylonians for sure, but the fury of God and His uh, anger at their disobedience and their idolatry. She was cast to the ground, I mean utterly uh, destroyed, uh, and an east wind dried her fruit. And Babylon lay to the east of her, so a reference to the, uh, the source of of this invasion and this destruction being Babylon. Her strong branches were broken and withered, the fire consumed them, and now she is planted in the wilderness in a dry and thirsty land, comparatively speaking, you know, talking about uh, being uh, deported there to uh, Tel Aviv in a suburb of, of Babylon. Fire has come out uh, from a rod of her branches and devoured her fruit so that she uh, has no strong branch, uh, a scepter for uh, for ruling, and so this uh, here is is uh, Israel likened here to uh, this uh, a grapevine. Jerusalem is very common in the Old Testament for Israel, and uh, and ultimately she'd be completely laid waste. And uh, Zedekiah in verse 14, he's the fire of verse 14, his failure to listen to God's warnings about uh, his own sin, that it would be, and the sin of the people, that it would be the ruin of Jerusalem and the end of, of the Davidic line of the kings. And uh, again, after Zedekiah was overthrown by Babylon, uh, no king from the, uh, the uh, David 
uh, Davidic dynasty replaced him and, and will not, as we've said, until Christ returns. Uh, only then will a ruler's scepter again arise in the, the line of David and, and reign as Israel's uh, king. So this is a lamentation really over the death, the needless death of uh, Judah and Jerusalem. I think most of us, if we live long enough, we attend an awful lot of uh, funerals and memorials. The longer we live, the more that, that we see these things. And there's something always tragic about, about death. It's an awful thing that got introduced into human history uh, through the fall of Adam and Eve. In Adam all die, Paul uh, said. But, but the, the deaths that are, you know, it's one thing for someone to die at 175, you know, and, and, they, go, and they went down kicking, you know. Uh, but, but then when, when there's a death that's unnecessary and, and tragic in its circumstances, you know, it's, it's uh, that much harder to, to absorb. It's that, that much more uh, difficult and so much more to lament. And the death of the southern kingdom of Judah, the death of, of Jerusalem in this way, all of it was completely uh, unnecessary. And one of the great mistakes that we saw it in Jeremiah, but it, we, it, it surfaces here continually, one of the great mistakes that the uh, children of, uh, of Judah uh, made in, in continuing in their sin was, as I mentioned before, this idea that uh, sure, they were bad. They were uh, committing all kinds of sin, all kinds of idolatry, but there was no way God was going to judge them with the Babylonians because they were even worse. They were even, uh, you know, more idolatrous than the children of Israel. But that's to forget that the standard for us in our lives as Christians and as uh, children of God is not the world, it's the Bible. And, and uh, so they thought, well, there's no way that that can happen. God is going to rescue us somehow at the last minute. And so literally for generations, the children of Israel, they lived off of the godly character of their predecessors. And the nation had become great, it had become powerful, it had become prosperous because previous generations had walked with God and that was the source of the prosperity uh, of the nation. And then they decided, a generation rises up and decides that somehow we don't have to carry on that heritage, we don't owe that to our children and our grandchildren, what others have been in order that we could have what we have, whether in a godly heritage or materially. And so we will become whatever we want. We'll live off of uh, the blessings that are all around us as a result of, of, of the godly character of, of other people and, and to take no concern to our own uh, godly character and then uh, it, it losing sight of the fact that all of it could uh, ultimately be lost in, in, in a moment. Every generation has to uh, carry its own torch in terms of spiritual and, and moral, moral uh, character as much as the previous uh, generation uh, did, uh, the benefits of, of which uh, we all enjoy. It's a, it's a tremendous word, I think, to uh, the, the Western world, where I think that currently, in, in my generation at least, we are living off of the benefits of uh, the, the moral and, and spiritual character of generations immediately before us. And then certainly in my generation, not uniformly, but, but by and large, has thrown all of that off and does not realize that the blessings that we enjoy, the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation have come because other people lived a life, a godly life that protected those freedoms and even produced those freedoms. And the idea that we can just throw that off in one generation and everything will continue on as it always has is a great mistake. And it's a great blindness and, uh, and Judah fell prey to it. Uh, as, as well. And the collapse can come as quickly, uh, the end can come as quickly as it did uh, with the southern kingdom of, of Judah. I'm always in, in this regard reminded of uh, John Adams, one of the founding fathers of, of the United States and the second president of the United States. He, he wrote of this very thing concerning the country that, that we live in, its spiritual heritage as well. He said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate uh, to the government of uh, any other. And it's true. 
And uh, it is, it's my hope that, uh, you know, even we as a nation will awaken to uh, the fact that that is the foundation before uh, all of it is, is lost and, and it's too late. Uh, chapter 20. In chapter 20, uh, we remember in chapter 18 that they had accused uh, God of being unfair in His judgment uh, against them in terms of the fathers eating uh, sour grapes and the children, you know, having the, to bear the consequence uh, of it. And so they, they feel, uh, even the audience that sits in front of Judah, the elder uh, of Ezekiel, the elders there in, in Babylon, Jewish elders, they, uh, they, uh, they look at things and and, uh, and they, they feel that God's judgment that's being described by Ezekiel is excessive by God. It's not fair. And so God now in, in chapter 20 is going to make it very, very clear to them uh, that his judgment is not unfair. And, and it is never, ever unfair. Uh, but they have uh, unmistakably brought it uh, upon themselves. And it came to pass in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel, again there in Babylon, came to inquire of the Lord, and they sat before Ezekiel. And so they are coming because they want a word from the Lord. It is very odd, as we've seen before, they recognize him to be a prophet, uh, they recognize that he has revelation from God that nobody else is getting, uh, but they don't take seriously enough the prophecies to then obey those prophecies. They're just kind of like in no man's land on this. It's either, you know, disregard him, don't even bother going to his house and sitting before him and asking him for a word from God unless you're going to obey it and, and take it seriously. Go on about your business. I mean, be all in or all out. Uh, but they're trying to find this middle ground that's completely irrational. But they probably do have, uh, they're, they're probably continuing to be curious about, uh, you know, what is the current news concerning Jerusalem and Judah, and what is God going to do? Has He changed His mind in terms of the fact that He has promised to, uh, to uh, judge them? And so the Lord, uh, then the word of the Lord came to me, Ezekiel said, and saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, uh, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. And, and again, we see the same thing that we've seen through the book, uh, that it is a privilege to hear God's voice. It is a privilege for Him to give revelation in, form, uh, in the form of the Bible or prophecies or word of wisdom, word of knowledge, any of the spiritual gifts. And when He reveals Himself in this way, He's to be taken uh, seriously. I mean, what an offense it would be if somebody said something important to me, uh, just a mere human, a mere peer in that way, and, and I disregarded it and, and gave it no heed. How much worse to do that uh, to God? What an affront to Him. It's a privilege to hear His voice and to know His will. And so God says, uh, listen, you come and all you do is inquire, uh, but you don't do anything with what I tell you when you inquire. I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man, speaking to Ezekiel? Will you judge them, then make known to them the abominations of their fathers? So they come and they sit before Ezekiel, and they have uh, one thing on their agenda. And what's on their agenda is, hey, would you give us some news about what's going to happen to Jerusalem? And God says, I'm not going to give them any more revelation related to that, but I'm going to tell them what they need to hear. I don't know if you've ever done that where you go to the Lord in prayer and you're seeking the Lord for, you know, some uh, direction or wisdom on some specific area uh, in your life. And, and, and surely this is the most important thing in heaven that God could speak to us about. And the Lord completely ignores what it is that we're coming to Him about. And He says, no, I'll get to that. Uh, because I promise I'll give wisdom to those who seek it from me. But first of all, I'm going to tell you what you need to hear even uh, more urgently, but you're not aware of it. And so uh, they come seeking him for one thing. He has something uh, else for them. 
something harder than they wanted to hear, but uh, something that was uh, very, very uh, important. Say to them, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them saying, I am the Lord your uh, God. And so when uh, he's going to give them a, the Lord here, this a review of their history, a long review of their history, that their history has been one of complete uh, uh, rebellion and, uh, or long, uh, long-term protracted rebellion and unfaithfulness and, and idolatry. This review of, of Israel's history by Ezekiel here is a fascinating one uh, because it gives us insights into where Israel was in, uh, in their thinking and in their doing that we don't receive from anywhere else. Um, when, and here he's talking about, uh, God begins to speak to them about, uh, about the con- their condition when God chose to redeem them out of their bondage from Egypt. And when we read that account in uh, Exodus, we have the account that uh, God wants us to have there, but it's a very sanctified account. It's a very uh, kind of cleansed account. It's kind of like a, a, a picture of, of their exodus, of the, their redemption from the vantage point of man. And uh, this is more of a, of, from the vantage point of heaven. They don't come off nearly as good um, in, in, this, uh, in this history that's laid out uh, here. It's probably true of all of us, I guess. You know, we all have our own history with God. You walk with God long enough and, you know, you don't look into the mirror of His Word, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all. We're expecting God to say, oh, you are again today. I mean, how many days has this been in a row? I have seven billion people and there you are again, Damien. But, uh, so we become the, the hero of, of all of our stories, but how those, those same events are seen from heaven, uh, we can tend to... Uh, 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 minimize or underestimate the greatness of God's grace and the aggravation that we kind of put Him through in getting us through these uh, different uh, chapters in life and, and life a- as a whole. And so he, he describes here these, these events in, 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 the, in the, uh, the Exodus and in their redemption from the bondage of, uh, of Egypt here and their refusal to cast away their idols uh, even then. On that day, God said, I raised up my hand in an oath to them. Here they are, two to three million of them in Egypt, slaves. He's going to deliver them from that, uh, that bondage. He swore an oath to them that he would do that to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I have searched out for them. That's a great real estate agent, isn't it? He's going to find the very best place to plunk uh, them in, in the world, not just in terms of the beauty of the land of Israel, but Israel is located at the junction of the three of the great continents of the world. The traffic of the world went through Israel, and the idea was that uh, by virtue of the Jews being there, prospered by God, walking with God, that the entire Gentile world would see uh, the greatness of this God and the quality of the human being that He produced and desire to know that God uh, as well. I've searched out the, uh, a land for them, and, and the land uh, is flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. And then I said to them, each of you, throw away the abominations which are before uh, his eyes, and do not defile yourself with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so the Lord uh, spoke to them and said, listen, I'm going to deliver you from the bondage of Egypt. The, uh, the one great demand that I make of you is that you throw away the idols that you worship here in Egypt. And this is something that we don't see with this kind of clarity in other parts of the Bible. This is the, the command that he had uh, made uh, to them. It is, it is a kind of a picture Egypt is uh, their bondage in Egypt in terms of New Testament typology, it's a picture of us before our salvation. We are in bondage 
uh, to the world, the sin, uh, the flesh, the devil uh, in the world, and it required our Passover lamb to redeem us. Redemption means to be released upon the payment of a ransom, for us to be released from a greater bondage than the bondage of Egypt. The bondage of sin is what we were uh, released from by virtue of Jesus' sacrifice. And so, the, uh, but the great missing word, here you have this picture of our salvation uh, that it being drawn out of the old uh, life, out of the world, out of Egypt, into a new life. And, uh, and the great forgotten word in evangelism today, Christian evangelism most often, is the word repent. And it was the same thing with him. God came and said, I'm going to redeem you. But I ask that in doing this, that you repent, that you turn from your idolatry and turn wholly uh, to me. And in any Christian's life, there is the, uh, in, in order to be saved, there is uh, the trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, but there involves a repentance. There involves a change of mind is what repentance means about the direction that I'm going in life and a, a change of mind that produces a change of action in my life. And I choose now to live the life that God has called me uh, to live. And, but there's a lot of people that, that look and they say, all right, I want to be out of Egypt, but I, but I don't want to be into the kingdom of God. I don't want to be in the promised land. I want, some, I want Egypt light. Uh, I want uh, Canaan light. I don't, want, I don't want too much of either one of them. And so they, they don't heed the call to repent. And, and to be wholly in for God, entirely in for God. And that's the call that he always has made of his people. And so he said conditionally, I, this is what I want to do, but I want you to give up your idolatry. And he gives them the reason there at the end of verse 7, I am the Lord your God. It's, a, it's an absolute affront to God uh, for uh, under the old covenant and equally under the new covenant for us to expect him uh, to share us with some stupid, uh, crummy, dumb idol. Uh, uh, and uh, that he would have to share us with anyone is, is just a, 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 a pride gone mad. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not cast, uh, all, uh, not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. And so, God, here we go into Exodus. We're reading about those ten plagues that are being unleashed, and we see uh, the children of Israel in their most favorable light there in that, that environment. But here we see that in the midst of all of it, that God saw that the children of Israel uh, were not uniformly getting rid of their idols. And and, uh, and here tempted, so to speak, to uh, not deliver them at, at all uh, because they didn't forsake uh, their, their idolatry. And what kept him from leaving them in that, that bondage in Egypt, uh, verse 9, but I acted for my name's sake that uh, it should not be profaned, that is his name, before the Gentiles among whom they were in whose sight I had made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Israel, and, uh, or the land of Egypt. And so God had made a promise uh, through Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh that, you know, set my people free. He was going to deliver them from the bondage uh, of, of Egypt. And he said, because of their failure to throw off their idolatry, he would have was tempted to leave them in that, in that bondage, except he had already communicated to the Gentile world that he was going to deliver them out of Egypt. And so now, not only is the reputation of the children of Israel in play now, uh, now because of their idolatry, uh, they've put the reputation of God in play. It, it, it must really be hard for God, if anything can be hard for God. Um, but 
you know, here, here he is, he's, he's caught in this place now where he's, he's, where he's made the promise, and he's not really caught, but he's made the promise uh, concerning delivering them from, from Egypt. They don't do what he's, he's called them to do, and so now they don't deserve anything to be, to be taken out, and yet he's got to take a bigger picture into view now than just the children of Israel. He's got to take in, into view the, the, the Egyptians and other Gentiles that have, that have heard that he'd given his, his promise that he would uh, deliver, them, uh, deliver them out. And so for his name's sake, uh, he, he, therefore he says in verse 10, uh, I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And so this is kind of new, that it, it wasn't that they were so much greater than the Egyptians, that, uh, that he redeemed them. I mean, they, they failed even here uh, at the very beginning of their, their redemption. And, uh, and really behind it was God just simply in his grace and be, uh, to them and being faithful uh, to his promises that they ended up being delivered. And I gave them my statutes verse 11, and I showed them my judgments, which if a man does, uh, he shall live by them. And so God uh, gave them his, the, the law after they had come out of Egypt, uh, and, and his judgments, if a man does, he shall live by them. It's a fabulous description of the Word of God. If we, live, uh, if we do them, we shall live by them. It is the way to live. It is the way to prosper in life, is to just simply obey the Word of God. It's, it is funny sometimes where you see these speakers that become very, very popular in the world and they're, uh, you know, kind of motivational speakers and all and kinds of things. And you see very often that they become very, very popular just saying uh, the very things that anybody who had ever been to Sunday school in church would have become uh, aware of. This is the way uh, to live uh, according to, to God's uh, Word. And moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. The Sabbath was a covenant, a, 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 something that was uh, God instituted between Himself and the Jewish people. It doesn't apply into the, the Gentile uh, world. And the keeping of the Sabbath was a means by which the Jewish people might communicate to God uh, their love for Him, how they prized the relationship that they had uh, with Him, how they valued it, and so it was the one way to supremely express love and appreciation uh, to God. God gave them that, that Sabbath, even in, their, in the, their, the condition that wasn't uh, ideal. And yet, verse 13, the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. And, and that was the single greatest thing that the Jews could do to say, listen, we're over you, we're through with you, we don't care, uh, we're, we're on to other things, was to begin to defile uh, uh, God's Sabbath law with them. And then I said I, will, I said, I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. And so God was tempted at that point then uh, to judge them even that early in their uh, Exodus history. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So again, he's kind of weighing. I ought to judge them, but I got to take the Gentiles into view in, in all of this. And of course, he possesses the wisdom to, uh, and, and the power to manage all of that in a, in a, in a proper way as, as, he, as he did. Now, in, in chapter, um, in verse 15, uh, their uh, rebellion against his uh, commandments uh, during their period of wilderness wandering is what he heads into now. And so I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I should not bring them uh, into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey. Uh, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk 
in my statutes, but profane my Sabbaths, for their heart went uh, after their idols. Nevertheless, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. And so you remember in the, when they came to uh, Kadesh Barnea, and the spies went into the promised land, and they, and they spied it out, and it was a, a beautiful land. It was a great land. It was everything that God said it was. And Joshua and Caleb came back with a favorable report, and the twelve, ten spies came back with an unfavorable report and said, we're like grasshoppers in the eyes of the Anakim and we'll never be able to, to take it. And then they rebelled against God at that particular point. And God said uh, he could have uh, completely de- destroyed them at that particular point, but he didn't want to make an end uh, to them entirely. And so what did he do? He simply allowed, he took them out into a, a, a wandering in the wilderness for 40 years so that those who were 20 years and above or those above 20 years would die in that wilderness and only those 20 and below and those born during that 40 years would enter into uh, the, the promised land. And so again, we get an idea of how still how much grace God is extending to them uh, in, in uh, um, in, in every step of the way as he, he rehearses their history from the perspective of heaven to these uh, Jewish elders in Babylon. But I said to their children in the wilderness, do not walk in the statutes of your fathers. Don't, don't walk in unbelief the way that your fathers did and, and put you in this wilderness wandering, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourself with their all, uh, idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes. Keep my judgments and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths, and they will be a sign between uh, me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. Notwithstanding, so unfortunately, uh, again, the children of Israel rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. It's like, this isn't hard. These commandments are, uh, are not burdensome. They're life-giving. I mean, they're, they're, it's not like God's asking, you know, to, to obey commandments that will result in some awful, horrible life. Uh, the, all He was asking them was, was to obey what, what would have brought them into a, a, a great blessing. And uh, so also I raised up... Uh, let, me, let me see where I... Then I said, I'll point my fury on them. Oh, let's just start all the way back. Chapter 19. I'm just kidding. Uh, 21. Uh, Notwithstanding, the children of Israel rebelled against me, and they did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Do you recognize that? I do too. That's right where we left off. You're doing great. But they profaned my Sabbaths, and, they, and then I said, I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. And I also raised up my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles, disperse them uh, throughout uh, the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths, and their eyes were uh, fixed. I mean, that's quite a phrase, isn't it? Were fixed on uh, their idols. And therefore, I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And so God basically said, all right, you like your idolatry? You like all these gods you picked up in the world? you like all of the philosophy that comes from it, I'll turn you over to it and, and then you can have a basis of comparison in terms of the quality of life that obeying uh, that religion uh, produces as opposed to uh, what following me uh, produces. And so, uh, and sometimes that's the great lesson in life, how we come to appreciate uh, God's truth is to try uh, in our numbskull nonsense to try uh, something else and then realize, oh no, this is not where I want to be 
and we come running back to God and appreciate all of his commandments and we don't fashion this kind of uh, hybrid Christianity of our own, our own defining. And therefore, I uh, also, uh, again, verse 25, I gave them up to the statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live. And I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts and that they caused uh, all of their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them desolate and that uh, they might know that I am the Lord. And so God says, all right, you're like, uh, you're like uh, Molech, you're like uh, the god Mammon, you like to follow Baal, you like all of this, go ahead and follow it and see what, uh, see what you turn into. And uh, in the following of the ancient god Molech, which is what the children of Israel did, they ended up uh, sacrificing their children to, to, to that god for the fertility of their flocks and, and all unimaginable what they they became, and then, uh, and, and, and then the Lord, there's uh, two that's that are there in the end of verse uh, 26. He, uh, he said, that I might make them desolate, and that they might know that I am the Lord. God says, all right, then I'm going to, co- I'm going to let them engage in sin to the nth degree that they want to. And so that when I judge them, it will, it will be unmistakable that it is my judgment against their uh, sin. He continues now in verse 27 to uh, give their history, of long history of their rebellion, right into uh, their, their present time, the time of, of Ezekiel as he's talking to these Jews sitting before him. And therefore, son of man, Uh, Speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Is this uh, to your father? uh, In this too, your fathers have blasphemed me, being unfaithful to me. So it's one thing to read about the sins of previous generations or sins of of the history of the Jewish people. Now God says, Now I'm going to start to talk about you presently, and you're doing the same thing. You're being the same thing. It's one thing to be mortified by the, the sin of, of other Christians or the, or the, the sins of our uh, predecessors. And, uh, and it, it's like the old saying goes with, with David when he was confronted with his, uh, his, his sin. And uh, by that parable that Nathan gave to him about the visitor that had come to the man's house and he had plenty of lambs that he could have sacrificed in order to provide a feast for uh, the visitor, but instead he took the lamb from uh, this other man and and the lamb was so dear to the family that it was virtually a a family member and then slaughtered the animal and served that animal instead. And David was incensed and declared that the man uh, ought to die and that the lamb should be restored sevenfold or however many uh, David said there and he was completely incensed over what the person had done and yet uh, he had thought nothing of taking Uriah the Hittite's wife a far greater uh, sin in violation of a man or violation of of a family and David was incensed in this just this little tiny uh, type or picture of the greater thing that he had done called for the death of a man that had done that and so often we all we all suffer from the same uh, self um, uh, deception potentially where we look at and most often the sin that we recognize first in other people is sin that is present in our own life because we're familiar with it and then we look at somebody and we judge them related to the sin that they're in and we may be engaged in that same sin but somehow we're not quite as bad as them and uh, and that that self-deception that occurs in in all of that is if that's going it's going to have a different end in my life uh, than than in their life and and so this is the way that they they uh, they looked at things we can look at 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 things too it certainly teaches us this this evening as christians that none of us want to be living tonight in willful disobedience to any of god's commandments or engaged in idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of any created thing. There's only, there's only two things in all, of, in all of the world, all of the existence, and that is uh, there is God and then there is His creation. And to worship anything other than the Creator God, the true and the living God of the Bible, is to be engaged in idolatry. And so, again, it just drives home the fact that, that, you know, being a Christian, claiming to follow the God of the Bible is a serious business in any age. And, uh, and he deserves wholeheartedness on, 
on our, our part. And, uh, and so the, all of this is intended to wash away any of this kind of, uh, of hybrid Christianity or idolatry that might be a half-heartedness and lukewarmness in any of our lives this evening. And so he said, therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, thus says the Lord God, is in this too your fathers have blasphemed me uh, by being unfaithful to me. They're no different in this generation. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to give to them, and they saw all of the high hills and the thick uh, trees, uh, there they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. And there they also uh, sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. And so God says they had idolatry in their hearts. They, They never got rid of their idolatry from Egypt. They come into the promised land. And when I bring them into the promised land, one of the first things they do is they notice how nice and high the mountains are and how wonderful the groves of trees are to now make these places the altars to worship the gods that they brought out of, out of Egypt. One of, the, one of the hardest things uh, to, to in, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm just like everybody else in life, every other Christian, I'm not particularly fond of trials. I don't like begin the day now, God, would you bring the biggest trial I've ever had in my life uh, into my life today? Could you do it before 10 o'clock? That'd be great. No, we, we like to, to kind of steer clear of those as much as, as, as possible. And, but what is true concerning our lives and true of, of history, spiritual history in the Bible, the far more dangerous time to any of us is not a time of difficulty or trial or circumstances in life that drive us close to God. It is always in prosperity uh, that the greatest uh, threat to our faith and our obedience to God occurs. I mean, when, you're, when we're depending on Him for our next breath, for our next week, for our next paycheck, for our next meal, I mean, we stay very, very close to God. And then you get a little money in the bank. Or you get a little bit of a cushion here or whatever. And then, and then somehow in that time, uh, then we can begin to become distant. And, and this must again be, uh, for lack of a better word, a challenge for God because how does He prosper us individually as Christians? And, and the Christian life is a prosperous life. It's the way to live. How does He prosper us uh, just the right amount that we will stay close and dependent upon Him, but not so much that we'll then uh, use those resources to become distracted and pulled away from Him or His calling uh, upon our lives. And, and yet He's able to do that. But sufficient to say that it is a ten, it's, a, it's a temptation for all of us as Christians that we need to be uh, alert to. Sometimes when I look around in my own life and like everything's going great, it's like, uh-oh, uh, this, something's going to happen, you know. And I don't mean that God's going to, you know, hammer me or something like that. There's going to be some kind of a temptation. There's going to be some kind of a thing to, to, you know, to slip down into a lower gear and, and find a more comfortable place in, in terms of navigating life. And that's going to be the temptation that will come my way. And then God will have to dry things up to, to, to bring me back uh, to him, but prosperity it's it 's good to be alert to those those seasons, especially alert that they can uh, represent the greatest uh, challenge to our wholeheartedness toward god and and so they went there and they made all of their offerings in these places and then I said to them. Uh, what is this high place to which you go? And so its name is called Bama to this day. And therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, are you defiling yourself in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourself with your, all your idols even to this day. 
And so shall, I, so shall I be inquired of by you? He comes back to addressing them when they, at the very beginning of the chapter. O house of Israel, as I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired by you. You want a word from me. You uh, want to use me for these various kind of things that you want when you want them from me. But uh, you don't take uh, anything really seriously that I'm, I'm saying to you. Uh, so if, if you're not going to do any walking in this, I'm not going to do any more talking. Uh, if you value what I say, uh, then the greatest way that you can represent that is by obeying what I've already told you to do. And then I can feel comfortable to reveal uh, the next thing to you. But he says, I'm not going to play this game back and forth with you. And what, uh, what you have in your mind shall never be when you say, uh, we shall be like the Gentiles, like the families in other countries serving uh, wood and uh, stone. And so this was their, uh, their desire uh, that, they, that they had, was the, the idea that they would be able to, uh, to do this and, and uh, find some kind of, a, again, a way of being partway in the world, partway into God, partway into the ways of the, the Gentiles, and, and to kind of have it, uh, have it both ways. And the Lord said, I'm not going to let you be uh, successful in that. It is, it, it is wonderful that uh, the Lord will never allow a Christian to be successful in sin. He just won't let it happen. Say, so I'm going to go back to the world. Ah, not entirely. I won't, be the, I won't be the person I once was. I mean, I got a little bit of God in me now. And uh, so I'll go back there. Well, uh, ha- have fun. You will never enjoy sin in the same way that, that, you, uh, that you enjoyed it before. When you're born again, you're taking the Holy Spirit with you. Uh, and, and He's not having fun. So you're not going to have uh, fun there. And, and so, and it's a wonderful thing about being a Christian, the Holy Spirit coming into our life. He completely ruins us forever returning back to the world and ever being comfortable uh, there or being successful in sin uh, ever again. And it's a great thing. And the Lord had a call on the, uh, the nation of, of Israel. I mean, this is way, this is way, way, it's well along in in the history of the Jews, but the Messiah hasn't even been born yet. I mean, they're putting the birth of Christ in jeopardy, the Savior of the world with all of this nonsense that that they're doing. God's got a lot planned for these people uh, yet, and yet they're trying to go back to the world and be like the Gentiles. God says, I won't cooperate. I won't do it. And, and I'll never let you be successful in it. It's one of, I, I say with tongue-in-cheek partially, but, you know, there's a Bible that talks about the giftings and the callings of God are without repentance. And you usually will claim that verse, and God has, you know, given me the gift of prophecy, or He's given me the, the gift of this, or a calling of this in my life, and because He's given it to me, He'll never take that back from me. That will be my gift for the rest of my life and how God will use me. And then one day you begin to pay a price uh, in that calling. And uh, you begin to think to yourself, uh, I quit. I'm done now. I'm leaving. This was fun. I, I needed a life experience on the resume to serve you in this way, but I think I'm missing out on a lot. I want to go back. Or this is just pretty rough. I mean, Jeremiah's life was very rough. Ezekiel's life was very, very rough. And then you you try and and quit and and walk away from it. It's pure whining. I know that. And and then you discover that uh, he won't let you. He won't let you be successful in it. I mean, you think if, if you take a loan from the mafia and they're never going to forget it, you haven't seen anything until you gave God your life to use however he sees. I'm not likening him to a mafia don, but, uh, but he, he takes this seriously. We'll have to erase this from the, this could be bad, badly misunderstood. But, but he takes this seriously, the, our life given to him. And, and he said, no, I'm not going to let you be su- successful uh, becoming like whatever you want to become or, 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 or infatuates you related to, uh, to uh, the world. 
And as I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out, I will rule over you. And uh, I will bring you out from, uh, from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with fury poured out. And so uh, the Lord speaks to uh, uh, this word through Ezekiel that Judah, the, uh, uh, the Jews in their entirety, they will uh, first be purged by the judgment of their captivity, but uh, uh, to bring them back to their, the, the covenant with God. and then he's going to return them to the land. I will bring you out of the peoples, gather you out of the countries where you are currently scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with fury poured out. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face, just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. I will make you to pass under the rod and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge in this captivity the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but into captivity that is from Israel, but they will not enter into the land of Israel in the return. I'm going to remove their influence in this way. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Go serve every one of you his idols, and hereafter, if you will not obey me, but profane my holy name, uh, no more with your gifts and with your idols. Again, get in or get out, but this in-between thing, uh, if you're going to go do the idol thing, go get it out of your system, and then get back, uh, get back here. But, but this thing that you think you're fooling me with this one foot in the world, one foot in, in, into me, uh, that that's acceptable to me. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not playing that game with you anymore. For on my holy mountain, on the mountain height of Israel, says the Lord, there all of the house of Israel, all of them uh, uh, in the land shall serve me. And there I will accept them, and there I will require your offerings and the first fruit of your sacrifices together with all your holy things. And then I will accept you as a sweet aroma, and I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will be hallowed in you before the Gentiles. In other words, God bringing them back into their land would be such a miracle, just inconceivable that it would ever happen again. Even the Gentile world would recognize that this was a miracle. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you into the land of Israel, into the country for which I raised my hand in an oath to give to your fathers. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. And there you shall remember your ways and all your doings with which you were defiled, and you shall loathe yourself in your own sight because of all the evils that you have committed. When that time came, they, they turned back to God 100%. They are brought back into the land. Uh, they will uh, be disgusted with themselves and the decisions that they, they had made and the idea that they could do this kind of thing with God and be successful and the person that they had become. And then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have dealt with you uh, for my name's sake, not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt doings, O house of Israel. Uh, says the Lord God. So God promises them, listen, I'm going to bring judgment on you, I'm, and I'm going to use this to refine you, but I will bring you back uh, into uh, the land. And furthermore, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward the south, speaking of Judah and, uh, and Jerusalem, preach against the south and prophesy against the forest land the south and say to the forest of the south, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will kindle a fire in you and it shall devour every green tree and every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched. And so we had our share of forest fires last year, didn't we, in the state of California? Uh, a, f a fire, a forest fire, in those days was a, a, an equally more devastating kind of thing 
uh, in, in that land. And he said, and he's likening the coming judgment of the Babylonians to a forest fire. It's going to be big, it's going to be a, 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 dev- a devastating thing, and it is going to be unstoppable. You don't even think of controlling this fire or the judgment that's coming. It shall devour every green tree, every dry tree in you. The blazing flame shall not be quenched, and all faces from the south to the north shall be scorched by it. All flesh shall see that I, the Lord, have kindled it. It shall not be uh, quenched. And they'll know that this was God's doing all along when He fulfills these prophecies uh, of judgment. And then I said, Ah, Lord God, they say of me, uh, does he not speak in parables? And so, Jeremiah, I mean, Ezekiel, he lays out this, um, this final prophecy to them, and he just wants to let God know that they're kind of getting tired of these parables that you've got me speaking, uh, Lord. And and because he looks at them and he understands they're not understanding entirely what it is that, that he's saying here and, and maybe a little bit frustrated as, as well. And so God says, all right, they don't like parables. I'll give it to them in black and white. And that's what he begins to do in chapter 21, where we'll look uh, into, Lord willing, uh, next week. Let's stand together now and we'll pray. Before we do, if you sit here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, uh, let's get that taken care of tonight. And there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. We'd love to pray with you uh, to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to receive salvation, the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life, begin a relationship with God here tonight. It's all there for the asking and the receiving because God has made it a free gift uh, to us. Whatever our background, whatever we messes we've made, uh, certainly if anybody's in a place tonight where you are backslidden, far from the Lord, you come in on a passage like this and you say, uh, you know, there's a thousands of years of separation between uh, you in terms of time and, and the events here, but you're, you're doing the same kind of a thing. You You've got, uh, you know, one foot into the world, one foot in, into God, and, and you're thinking that should, uh, God should be happy with that when it's an affront to Him. I mean, you just think it through logically a little bit. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's God Almighty. He's supposed to share us in that. I mean, God, just, so we want to get out of that, that state and that condition. And if you'd like to rededicate your life tonight, we'd be happy to pray with you as well. Need prayer for anything tonight. Uh, we'd love to pray with you and for you. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. And, and we pray that uh, for an afterglow of it in each one of our lives, as is necessary, to confirm uh, the wisdom, Lord, and the beauty of walking close with you and in, in righteousness and, and obedience to your word, Lord, or the warning of the dangers of prosperity are starting to take the steps of, of wanting to be both in the world and in your kingdom in an equal measure. And, and, uh, and these kind of things that we can all find ourselves